Amen. This morning, listening to the children sing and dance this morning, I was reminded uh, of uh, the scriptures this morning. Psalms 8, verse 2. Um, I like that. I think the message, I think I like, like it the best as far as what it says. I've always remembered it in King James, you know, out of the mouth of babes, thou hast perfected praise. Probably one of my favorite ones. But if you haven't read the message and what it has to say, sometimes they, uh, they're very poetic in how they want to put things. It, it reads, nursing infants gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk. And silence atheist babble. I'm going to tell you, we have a wonderful chorus of children who shout out the praise of the Lord and shut down the enemy. Amen? Amen. Amen. I I don't ever want to stop that. I I think I gather energy from it. I do. I think I gather energy. One of the things I said as a youth pastor was that uh, I think being a youth pastor kept me young. I felt young all the time around uh, kids, and all of a sudden, my the things that I liked and the things that I had begun to learn because they're constantly learning. Uh, it excited me about learning and studying because they're always having to study and learn, even though they don't like it. But uh, it is true, and uh, it, I don't know, just it made, made me feel young. Well, we're finally in Mark chapter fourteen today, and uh, it's our first series of text. is is kind of lengthy this morning, but. It's extremely important for today. This uh, section of scripture holds some pretty good weight as this story is a story that's also told in Matthew and Luke's account either. They call that the synoptic gospels. Mark and Luke and Matthew, these are the synoptic gospels and this story is a single story that's found in all three. And so this passage I believe today is somewhat fitting. I think it's a message uh, not only to our church, but to every church. Uh, and it's, to me, it's not so much evangelistic as much as it is holistic. Uh, I think Jesus aims to teach us something uh, um, today in the way we see our walk with him and then the way we see our walk with others. Uh, because make no mistake, the church is not a single individual. The church is Jesus living amongst us, in us, and together. When we're formed together, we become the body of Christ. And so uh, I think it's a message for the church. Uh, uh, I'm going to be honest. I think I've heard uh, over, uh, in just in the last probably decade, a dozen messages over this story. I'm sure you have as well. Uh, and there was uh, one year, I remember, because my mentor, we were talking about it. Uh, we went to another, I don't know if it was a leadership conference or whatever. But at that point, I remember going, Man, like they, they opened up with this story, and I was like, this is the fourth one I've heard. This is the fourth sermon in a single year over the same story. And like maybe anybody else who was way more holier than me would have been like, maybe God's trying to tell you something. But I was like, no, I'm sick of hearing it. Like it's the same story. Did they read any other parts of the Bible? I mean, like, it's, but I just, you know, it just seems like I hear it all the time. I hear this sermon. And, it, and the thing was is that each sermon was the same. It's the same message. They focus in on the same thing every time. And when it's your fourth time, the, the same time in the same year to hear the same message, you know, you start to wonder, are they copying this off the Internet? Are they, I mean, because it's the same message every single time. Uh, and, uh, and, and I started to think about this, especially as we begin to approach it today. And I have taught on this before, uh, what I'm going to talk about today, because when I look this message, I see what they all see, right? I see it, and we're going to talk about it uh, uh, because it's the obvious thing. And I think sometimes that's the travesty of how we approach the scriptures. We see what we're supposed to see, and then we don't see anything else. And the sad part about it is there's so, like, to, to, to f- first, when we, when we decide we're going to, we, we see somebody that we like and we want to follow, right? We watch them before we follow. Now, in the scriptures, we don't have the luxury of visit, visually seeing Jesus. So the best we have are the scriptures that paint the entire room. What is happening in the room, how many people are in the room, the types of people that are in the room, the types of people he's dealing with on the day-to-day basis. And I think we fail at times to see the humanity of everything, of what's Jesus is trying to do. We're so fixated on the thing that we easily grasp onto that we fail to see the whole picture of it. And, and I really want to bring us into that today uh, because I think there's a bigger thing happening here. Is the obvious thing happening? Yes. Like I said, we're going to deal with that. 
But I think, or I believe really, because for me it was like a, you know, we say uh, church, church folk use the word rhema or revel- revelationary. You know, it, it was re- very revelation for me, some of these things we're going to talk about today when I first came across this. And I, and I think it's because I looked at it from Jesus the pastor. And uh, I, uh, that's going to be where my real focus is. Even though we're going to focus on the obvious, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cover that because I think to fail to do so would fail to, to actually not give you the main thing, right? But I want you to take a step back once we get there and we'll get past it. And we're going to step back and we're going to look at the overall of what's happening in the text. So I just want to give you a, few, a, a full view. So uh, And hopefully... You might actually hear something or learn something that you haven't before this morning, and, and, and maybe, maybe it'll widen your eyes a little bit to see um, the humanity in Jesus. I, I think we paint Jesus as God really easy. I mean, come on, how many people you know that like spit on mud and put it on people's eyes and heal people? I mean, when we think about miracles, we have no problem thinking Jesus can perform miracles. We have no problem praying to the God who can answer us by fire. We have no problem thinking of God as deity. We have no, but can you think of Jesus as just man? Can you, can you follow him if he's just a man? And I think when we see Jesus the leader, Jesus the pastor, Jesus teaching you how to love, sometimes the unlovable, right? It's easy to focus in on what's the obvious, but what's neat as a pastor to look at Jesus as also a pastor and go, wow, look at him lead in this scenario. Look, look at how he talks to these other people and this other people group and how he addresses them in this moment. Like, I'm just going to be honest. Like, if I'm having to deal with the Pharisees all the time, it's going to take like, like the first time I deal with them, it's going to be like, I'm going to be godly. I'm going to watch my tongue. I'm not going to lie. Third or fourth time, you know, hypocrite might come out real quick because I might say something I regret, you know, because I could get frustrated. I can, and this is where we see Jesus and his humanity really, really powerful, really powerful and shows us, I think, the way, especially in shepherding. So Mark chapter 14, just the first nine verses. We're going to kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other synoptic gospels. We'll get into the story there because they unfold this a little bit more. They unpack this a little bit uh, better, you know, but again, like we said about Mark's gospel from the very beginning uh, uh, last year when we kicked this thing off was that Peter is dictating because John Mark wasn't there, right? Mark wasn't there. So he hadn't been a disciple of Jesus yet. We believe that John Mark wrote this as dictated through Peter uh, uh, and our gospel has been given to us from Peter's perspective. Uh, I don't know if you realized about Peter. Peter's not a man of words. Uh, the first thing they said about Peter when they saw him in the book of Acts is that he was unlearned and ignorant, right? But they could tell that he'd been with Jesus because he talked like him, right? So uh, this is uh, the, from his perspective. And, and Luke, uh, who probably gives us some more detail, that makes sense. He's a doctor, you know? Uh, I don't, I mean, they tend to be more uh, administrative. Luke is very administrative. He wrote the book of Acts too. So I mean, he's very good at the details. And so we'll probably cover a little bit of Luke's as well. So Mark chapter 14, verses one through nine, say amen if you're there. Amen. Amen. Awesome. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. Could have been sold for a year's wage And the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you. And you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. And she has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discuss. So let's deal with the obvious. 
Let's deal with the surface level stuff that most people are expecting to be preached from this passage. Again, and then I'm going to back up and we're going to re-examine the scriptures uh, and, and take a look at them. So the obvious interaction in the story is that of the woman who burst into this dinner party. That's pretty much what most people talk about when they come across this passage. She is a woman out of place. Why? Because she is believed to be a prostitute. Mark's account regards her as just a woman, but Luke in chapter 7 mentions to us that she is an immoral woman, a woman that they all know to be immoral. Again, this puts her out of place and in a company that don't follow necessarily after immoral behavior. All right? They're immediately offended just by her presence because her presence alone can dictate her reputation. All right? She's immoral. They believe her to be a prostitute. Uh, um, uh, and so th- this is a fact that is recognized, right? They all know it. Everybody in the room knows it. They're already, they're already bothered by the whole thing. Uh, um, and and, and that's, that's the thing. That's why she sticks out in this whole passage, because here he is. He's around other religious leaders and teachers, and he's invited into this house. He's eating supper, and she just comes in, right? In the middle, think about this. You're in the middle of your dinner this unknown woman well not unknown right everybody knows who she is all right I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing too by the way how come all the pastors know who the prostitute is all right I'm just saying I'm just saying that's weird to me all right how do you know like why are you walking that alley where she's at all the time because I'm pretty sure by the way if you remember all the way back to the days of Jericho uh in the last prostitute we hear Rahab didn't she what leave a red scarlet scarf outside so you know that uh she was the Roxanne right you don't have to put on the red light you know what I'm talking about in the song right she's the red light district is where she lives right it's it's that's this is how it is they know who she is right so she breaks into your dinner like, man, like immediately, by the way, come on, man, if Jesus is at your house, like, I have no idea who this woman is, man. I don't even know anything about her. I don't know why prostitutes just feel like they could open the door uh, into my house. And I promise you, I don't know her. I swear I don't know her, God, right? I mean, like, this is a bizarre scene, right? And then she just like, we're all eating dinner. And this woman comes in and she begins to pour out perfume all over his head. Uh, If you read in Luke's account, she pours it on his feet, too, along with her tears and begins to wipe it up with her hair. And and listen, there's no mistake. And this this is a moving, very emotional scene. It's one that aspires to teach us what it means to lavish praise, to lavish worship at the feet of Jesus. And maybe uh, the crashing symbol to this text and quite possibly the most teachable aspect of this is found in verse 8. And it's the one that I hear a lot of them cling on to, a lot of pastors cling on to, is that in verse 8 it says, She has done what she could. That is a powerful, powerful moment. And this is, this is probably what stands out as the banner text for us to grab hold of and run with. She did what she could do. What, what do I do? What, what can you do? And what did this, this immoral woman, what she did that was so great is just what she could. <laughs> it's just what she could do. And there is the simple truth to be grasped, that in our sinfulness, that in our inadequate stance before the Lord, sometimes it's just about doing what you can. It's not anything more than that. You make it more than that. You think that you need to like you like earn something or no, no, no. But there's nothing wrong in doing what you can. And some of that is just taking the things that God has given us and doing a really giving them back to him so that his glory can be seen, his glory can be known. It's pouring out all of ourselves, all of our resources, all of our giftings, all before his feet. She's doing what she could. And, and, and for, for some of you, like you read this, that's the thing you needed to hear. And, and this is why it's often preached. They preach this woman who walks in. She did what she could. She took what she had and just gave what she had. And that's powerful. In and of itself, if we never moved on, we could stay here, and that would be powerful enough, right? Right? And maybe this is this, you know, the thing, the point that really for some of you in the room, maybe this is the very thing your heart needed to hear this morning, that God sees you. God sees you. God sees what you bring to his feet. You might not think it's a lot, but it's not about how much, it's about your heart. She wanted to get to Jesus. She wanted to pour it out before the Lord. Right? It wasn't about the amount of perfume that was being poured that Jesus was impressed by. It was about her absolute and surrender and desperation to be at his feet. 
That's, that's what he wanted. That's what he loved. She broke into a house for which she knew she would not be welcomed. Just to take the ridicule or whatever verbal things that, that incur or thoughts that might incur. Because she had to be at the feet of Jesus. She walked into a room where she knew she would be judged harshly. She took a significant, costly amount of perfume just for the sole purpose of falling to the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. She did this and asked for nothing in return. I don't know if you caught that. She didn't ask for anything. She didn't need a healing. She didn't say, will you pray for this family member? Will you come? This person needs a healing. She wasn't praying that she could receive a more comfortable lifestyle. She uh, just worshipped. It's the simplicity of the text. She just worshipped. And be honest with yourself. When was the last time you came to Jesus and just worshipped? When was the last time you just poured yourself out? When you got up in the morning and that was your intention? You didn't come needing. Lord, I'm always looking for the handout. Lord, I'm always needing this. I'm always needing that. I'm always... When's the last time you come and just brought it all, laid it down at his feet and said, all I want is just to sit here at your feet, Jesus? This story is a defining moment in the ministry of Jesus. It prepares him for what's coming. This is the beginning to his like funeral procession, right? According to verse 8, that's what it says. The end of his ministry is approaching and like I keep saying, everything is leading up to the moment uh, of the cross, right? It's hugely important, which makes everything that Jesus says now as we draw closer. We're two chapters from being at the end of this, right? We get through this. We got 15, right? 16, and that's it, right? The life of Jesus is coming to an end as far as the first time, right? So everything he says is super important. Everything that's happening now, it becomes even more and more important. This morning's no different. Jesus said in verse 9 that this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And we've moved from remembering this moment right now to now discussing it. That was the main point. We've covered it. That was pretty much it. Like, I could have I lengthened it out. I could have, like, grabbed all these other analogies and lengthened that whole focal point out. But that is the focal point. And if you're, if you, you know, you, you know as well as I do, how many sermons have you heard over the woman who broke the alabaster jar? Right? I'm not here to give you another one. But on the flip side, this is where we find ourselves in the text. And uh, I, I, I want to share with you now the thing that God has shown me through this. All right? That's, that's like, the, like I preach to you the preacher thing. Right? But now I need to give you the thing that the Lord showed me. Right? Because first of all, pastors aren't on a higher plane than anybody else. You need to learn the same things that I learned. Same things. Right? You, you pastor your family. I pastor my family. We learn how to pastor each other. All right? So we're going to cover this, and, and, and I think there's more to this text that needs to be mine uh, um, because I think it unveils the church in a way that we can relate to, and it really reveals how Jesus approaches and deals with stuff like this. And by the way, you need to learn how Jesus deals with things. All right? Everybody's got that coworker. Everybody's got that person that annoys them. Everybody's got that person that, that somehow gets gets to them, and you need to know how to deal with people like this. How do you handle people? When you put two different people in the room, how do you navigate that? And Jesus is like really, really good at it. And I think when I first saw this, I was like really blown away. I was like, wow, mind blew up, you know? And so all of this, let's, let's re-examine all of this. It begins in the home of a Pharisee according to Luke's account. If we go and we look at and we look at all three versions of this story in Luke's, these guys are Pharisees. Yeah, uh, that's what they are. Both accounts mention that the man had experienced a complete healing from leprosy. So he's a Pharisee. He's a religious teacher, educator of the day, but he's also kind of the hierarchy. Uh, they've kind of been his enemies, by the way. Um, we just read in Mark's account how the Pharisees decided, hey, we just won't kill him on these days. But once these days are over with, we'll go back to killing him. You know what? Why don't we just invite him over for dinner? But, but by the way, it's not like they're ungodly people. This guy had received a healing from leprosy, 
All right? So it's not like they don't understand God. They've read the scriptures. Are they missing it about Jesus? Yes. Yes, they are, right? But they're under the Old Testament idea of everything, and they can't see the glory of the Lord when it's standing in front of them. So there's still some issues going on there. But these are like church folk that just kind of hadn't grown. You know what I'm saying? Like they've been the same way. They're like, oh, I've been in church my whole life. But really, you only got two years education of church, right? You just kind of been there. You don't know anything more than the two chapters that you've read. And really, that's about it, right? You don't understand the scripture. You have, you have some wisdom, but not a lot, right? They've experienced this healing. And it's, it's not like they're ungrateful. They're grateful. They're just blind men, right? But in, regardless, they invite Jesus over to celebrate the Passover with them. And they're literally in the middle of the meal when this uninvited woman, she begins to burst in and throw around some perfume on Jesus while weeping and using her hair and tears to wash his feet. Bizarre. Don't focus on her right now. Focus on the bigger picture. How bizarre is this? How many times has this happened for you? Prostitutes come in your house, just start pouring out perfume everywhere. How many of you can tell when somebody's wearing too much perfume? How many of you just want to eat while somebody's wearing too much perfume? You ever notice when you smell something, you automatically think you're tasting it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good and bad, guys. Good and bad. Right? I mean, like, when somebody wears too much perfume, you're like... I mean, right? Your tongue starts coming out, and you're like, oh, it's like I can taste it. You know, I mean, it's just it's weird how that works, that that everything works. And so you're sitting there having a meal. Everything is fine with Jesus, by the way. He's not angry at them. He's not like bitter, like, man, these guys were out trying to kill me yesterday. Now I'm eating their food. I mean, he's not. It's this weird, bizarre scenario there where he's in the room. He's eating with the people who have not been his best of friends and he's not upset at them. He's not sitting there and they're not having debates about how to kill him. He's not having to answer questions about the coins. He's not having to do any of that. He's sitting there enjoying his meal and a prostitute breaks through the door and starts throwing perfume in his hair and at his feet. And she's sobbing so greatly that her tears are falling on his feet and she's, she doesn't use her clothes. She's just like taking, she's such a mess, right? She's just taking her hair and washing him, right? I mean, it's a kind of a chaotic scene, right? Um... <laughs> and she's this, you know, well-known prostitute, uh, which is, again, bizarre. And, but these are church men. These are supposed to be godly men. So when somebody like this breaks in the house, listen, these are the men who carry the responsibility of church leadership upon them. Man, they're elders. They understand depravity. They understand sin. That's why they notice it when they see it. They get it, right? They understand what it means to be holy. That's what angers them so much about the situation. She comes in unannounced. That's rude. How many of you like that? How many of you like that when somebody just breaks in your door? You don't understand. She was coming about Jesus. I don't care what you come in for. You come in my house unannounced. I don't know who you are, especially if you're... Mm, how many of you just let sinners just walk in your house burst in unannounced? Right? It's rude. She's an immoral woman. And uh, it's bigger than just being a sinner. Uh, her reputation is somewhat forthcoming, right? And also, if you're a leader, you understand the same concept. If birds uh, of a feather flock together, then what's this woman doing at your house there, brother? All it takes is one accusation. Last I saw there at Simon's house, hey, I don't know about you, but at Simon's house, a prostitute just walked in the door like she could. Like, that wasn't even a big deal. I'm going to tell you, if you're a Pharisee or a pastor... You lose your jobs when prostitutes knock in your door and everybody sees that prostitutes just walk in your house. All right? When prostitutes got keys to your home, something's wrong. All right? She's not part of the flock, so to speak, right? She's unexpected. She's not wanted there. The amount of perfume she pours out is, listen, it's not a little. It's roughly a year's wage, according to any scholar who's, like, ever invested in this, right? It's a year's Wage. I don't know what you make in a year, but imagine that in perfume, and then let's pour that in your house. How many of you? You, come on. You throw one bottle of perfume in your house, like fifty bucks. That house will smell like it for a month. A month. Now let's go get a fifty-five gallon drum and pour some perfume in your house. All right. A year's wage of it. Right. Their response is the response I think of anyone. Right. Like, look at how much she poured. Like, that's a year's wage. You know how many kids in Africa we could feed? 
They didn't say that, right? They didn't say the African part, but, but literally, right? It's the same concept, right? You know how far that would have gone on the poor and the needy? You know what we really could have done with that? You just wasted it. You squandered it at his feet, man. We could have really helped people. By the way, is that bad? We paint them as the villain in this. But is that bad? Is it bad to think we could have taken the year's wage of that perfume? You could have just sprayed it at his feet. We'd have done the same thing. It would have made his feet smell good. It would have made his hair smell good. That would have been good enough. We could have taken the rest of that, right? How about just a month's worth of perfume on him? Then we're going to take, then we're going to take a, a, you know, the rest of it, the rest of the years, that wage, and fed the poor with it. That's a valid thing. I'm telling you right now, if I was a pastor and I said, hey, we're going to buy a year's worth of perfume and just dump it out, they'd be like, pastor, that's irresponsible. <laughs> Wisdom would say that's irresponsible. Let's use some of that finances to help these other areas where they could need help. We could feed a lot of people with that money. I, I don't think any of this is bad, right? It's a valid question. I mean, I, I, have, you ever, have you ever said something like that? Hey, we should probably, this would be a wiser use of that funds. Maybe we shouldn't all just pour it right here. Maybe we should dictate where a little bit of it here goes and a little bit of it here goes, and we could just do stuff like that. Isn't that valid? That's a valid question, right? We examine our own spending at times, and I've used this as a baseline on how much to give when we give stuff like, well, maybe we could use this and we'll offset to here. No, we have a... I mean, we, we think like this, right? We think like this. We've had discussions like this. So before you jump on the Pharisees back on this one, just be honest. It's not necessarily a bad observation, right? It's not bad. Do you have a question?
So, so that, and that is the obvious focal point. That, that's what I was saying. That's what in the very beginning when we talked about that, that's the obvious focal point on this thing. So let's, I'm going to back us up a little bit again, and let's look at the whole thing because I think when I get done here, you're going to see where I'm headed with that. So in Luke 7, verse 36 to 48, and I'll read it. This is Luke's account of the very same thing because it's different than Mark's. It's not different. It just, it's more in full. So when we read Mark's account, we have this like part of it, but not the full picture of it. And so, and we're going to touch into some of that. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. There's our cue, right? We know who these people are. So Jesus went to his home. He sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt by behind him at his feet weeping her tears fell at his on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them when the pharisees who had invited him saw this he said he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would know what kind of woman is touching him by the way he said this to himself all right he didn't say this out loud all right he said she's a sinner then jesus answered his thoughts be on check there guys simon he said to, to the pharisee i have something to say to you Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. And this is what's really happening in the room. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. What do you suppose, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose for the whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer to, uh, uh, water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me uh, with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love and jesus said to the woman your sins are forgiven so luke gives us this uh more in detail what's really happening in the room here and what he's really addressing the worship of the woman is the obvious that's the obvious everything he's saying everything we said in the beginning those are the obvious points that we grab from this and i i think it is pointed for us to see it like that right i think that's the obvious thing but here's, again, where I want to back us up here. And I want to look at both. How do we deal with both? By the way, both are in the church. Both are in the church. Jesus never loses his cool here. First of all, the Pharisees don't say anything out loud when she comes in. Nothing's happening out loud. They're not revealing their heart to everybody. They're doing what we all do. We keep our mouths shut. We're being smart about what's going to come out of it next. We already have seen it, and the judgment's already taken place with our eyes, not our mouth yet. All right? Our heart's already in the middle of it, but it's not happening out loud yet. Right? Jesus is responding to what they're thinking. Let that sink in first. Let that sink in. Next time when you're thinking something, let that sink in. All right? Jesus doesn't get angry, but he protects the woman while also correcting them through a kind word and an analogy. Now, this is an interesting pastoral thing going on right here. Because Jesus is not, listen, if he didn't want to sit with these people, he wouldn't. Jesus went to a place he was invited in. Seek and you will find me. Even the worst, right? The Pharisees are trying to kill him all the time. But if they invite him, he will come. What's that to say about us right there, first of all, about Jesus and how he is? If you seek Jesus, he'll come. Listen, even to the enemy. If the enemy seeks Jesus, oh, he'll come. But then, the, then we have really these two people in the room. I'm going to get away from my notes and just talk for a second because I really know this one by heart. There's two people in the room. They're the people who've been in church their whole life. And then there's the people that are just getting saved. They're full of sin. They're full of, you know, everything else. Their, their life isn't perfect. They haven't been in church their whole life. They don't know everything that's holy. They don't know everything that's, you know, and then you got this person who's been reading it forever. You know, they know the word. They, they know what, you know, the, the scriptures say. They know all these things, right? But Jesus, and, and then when, when all this happens, and you're like, man, if he really knew who she was, he wouldn't, right? And so, but he addresses that. said, so, listen, you just don't understand what's happening. Right? So what's the obvious, you know, if, if I was Paul right now, Paul was very rhetorical. What's the obvious thing? What is happening then, Jesus? 
if I don't understand what is taking place, if I can't see what he was describing, if I can't see the worship taking place, if I can't see how great that is, then what is taking place? How? By the way, Jesus doesn't owe an explanation. So why does he give one? Unless also to win them too. Because he loves everybody in the room. All right? And what is Jesus' explanation? Why is she like this? Why does she do what she do? Why did she fall down? Well, he gives the one analogy, right? A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he, forgot, he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Why do you suppose he loved him after that? Simon answers, I suppose uh, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, that's right. So what is happening here? Well, there's, there's, it's really simple. I, I use... Uh, uh, the kind of the whole analogy, uh, that's the one I've always uh, used. And basically that analogy is really simple. You and I are both in a hole, right? By the way, the hole is deep enough that we're all going to die. I'm in my own hole. You're in your own hole. But guess what? My hole is 20 foot deeper than yours. By the way, good job. Yours isn't as deep as mine. Bad news, you still die. You still die. Doesn't matter that my hole is 20 foot or 100 foot deeper if you don't live either. This is the irony of how dumb we are sometimes in thinking how we're better than somebody else, right? You still die. Even if you can barely touch the fingertips when you jump to the top of your hole because it's still shallow. Either way, you don't get out of the hole unless you're rescued. Only Jesus rescues. We are, doesn't matter that mine's deeper. But here's the, 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 where the analogy breaks different. How you view the depth of your hole determines how much you worship Jesus. Well, man, my debt's great. People ask me all the time, well, how come, you know, how did you get to where you're living? That's because I view, my, I view myself as a very awful individual who is in desperate need of God. And because I view myself as this awful individual who's in desperate need of Jesus, I worship and I follow Jesus in such a way that shows the appreciation of such. By the way, this is when we see... the. I would say this, man, your commitment level to Christ, not to the church, but to Christ, is dictated by how you view your life. How sinful do you think you are? Are you pretty good? By the way, if you're pretty good, that's how you'll follow Jesus. Well, I'm pretty good, so I don't really need a whole lot of help from Jesus. I'm pretty good. My hole's not 20 feet deep. It's not like he had to reach down way far and get me because I'm pretty good. I didn't, I, my hole's not that deep. You, you still haven't got over the fact that you die either way. <laughs> You die either way. It doesn't matter how deep your hole is. You die either way. And this is what's happening in the room. By the way, the Pharisee and the woman, they're not different. They're not different at all. They view themselves different, but they're not. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. By the way, these people are in the church. This is the church. Full of people who don't understand how much rescued they've really been rescued. That's why he's telling this story. All debt receives death, whether it's 50 or 500. He's saying the Pharisees owed a $50 debt. They, she owed a $500 debt. Who would love Jesus more? She would. That's why she's acting the way she does. Her debt's greater. They're like, thanks, appreciate it. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Maybe I'd have eventually figured that out. No, you would have never. You would have died. Scripture says that. You would have died. There's no way you can pay the debt back. There's not enough animals that you can kill that pays the debt back. That's the, that's the glory of the cross. This is what Jesus does. But because you view yourself as having a small debt, that you're pretty okay, that's why you don't worship Jesus like this. That's what he's trying to say to them. By the way, here's how we know this. Here's how we know he's loving them in this moment. He says, well, when I came in the room, right? You read the story. You heard it with me, right? When I came in the room, you didn't, you didn't kiss me. You didn't anoint my head. You didn't give me something to wash my feet, right? Did he say, listen, by the way, it says that when this happened, they were already eating. He did not complain about any of this until they what? Went after her. Man, if that isn't love and mercy, I don't know what is. That's like saying, it's like, by the way, as pastors, when we see it, pastors will talk amongst themselves like, did you see the way I acted? Yeah, I saw the way they acted, but they didn't know. They don't know what they're saying. So there's not a point. There's no way. If, if, if Jesus would have walked in the room and go, what? You ain't going to kiss me? You ain't going to wash my feet? You ain't going to like treat me like I'm one of you? How well do you think they're going to receive him? 
This is mercy. This is grace. He receives the Pharisees just like they are, and he sees what's broken on the inside of them. He sees that they just don't see themselves as all that bad because they've given their whole life to just being in the church, and they've, they've spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years of just serving the church, and so they're pretty good. <laughs> He's saying, you're messed up if you don't see that either way it all leads to death that you should appreciate it just as much as she does. It doesn't matter if it's 50 or 500. It doesn't matter. You don't get out of that. You don't get your debt canceled unless the person cancels your debt. And God has canceled both your debts. Well, the 500 just shows it a little bit more appreciation. That's always going to be in the church, guys. There's never going to be a time where there's going to be people who are all at the 500 mark. They're going to be those who are kind of half-hearted committed because they, it's, just, it's just how they, it's how they view their life with Jesus. Well, you know, it's not, I'm not that bad. So, but I'm telling you, like, this is where Paul goes, I'm the bondservant. I've become the slave. Why? Because he purchased my debt, and my debt was so great that I'm, I'm indebted to him forever. Paul said, Paul said, this is why I took the freedom that he gave me, and I said, I don't want it, Lord. I'll be your slave. You bought me. You bought me with the price. And now I'm fully 100% committed. The reason Paul is such a crazy for Jesus, you talk about worship. Paul is the worshiper of Jesus, man, where he finally says, that's it, all of me. You have all of me. I'm giving everything I have, everything. My whole life has now become yours. So it's not what I want anymore. It's what you want. You want me to go here? This is where I go. You want me to dress like this? This is what I dress like. You want me to look like the beggar? Then I'll look like the beggar. You want me to take a beating? Then that's what I do. I take the beating. If you want me to blind, I stay blind. If you want me to, whatever you want, it's what I want. Why? Because he sees the depth of the debt. And the same goes for everything else in the Bible, man. Those who are the fanatics in church are often people who see themselves so deeply indebted. Don't get me wrong, there's people that probably think it's like culturally popular and things like that, but the, the truth is the real fanatics are those who understand their own sin. They're the worst of us. The worst. <laughs> this is all interesting to me. Because how we navigate church, this is to me the bigger picture. Like it's easy, I could have just killed it on the whole worshiping and that part that's like that's like the most beautiful part of the whole story but the part that i think that we have to live every day with is how do i navigate between the 50 and the 500 how do i understand like by the way that doesn't mean you get to criticize those that you see are only in the 50 you know debt ratio or whatever because jesus doesn't jesus only only, when, only said any of those things when they attacked another one. Listen, before you start pointing fingers at her, it's just basically what he did. Before you start pointing, listen, what, this is what she's done. He tried to bring understanding to the situation. This is what she's done, and this is what is actually happening. See, she views her debt as greater than yours, and this is why she's acting this way. You, you, you could have acted this way, too, if you really understood the debt that you have, but you don't. And rather than just verbally beating them, which he doesn't, he tries to bring explanation. He tries to bring understanding and wisdom to the scenario. Guys, that is what you're called to do. You are not called to beat up one to protect the other. <laughs> There's not, we are called to protect, and he, he definitely like shepherds in that moment. But he doesn't like shepherd with a stick, start hitting them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to verbally beat you down now because you attacked my little precious one. No, no, no. They're all the precious ones in the room. And so rather than being this like, uh, you know, this, this big fighter type Jesus, Jesus is just trying to, listen, I know you don't get what your sister's doing. I know you don't, I know you don't understand this, but this is, what, this is what's actually happening. And this is where we have to be. Yeah, this is the way we have to be. Listen, I know some people can get so into something that it annoys you. I know. I'm one of those, man. I can get, like, my wife, she gets so annoyed by me. Like, I get into little things all the time, and all of a sudden I'm into them, and I got, and like, as soon as I'm into them, I got to do it. I, like, I'm watching these videos on how to make knives now. I don't know why, but I'm about to, like, buy knife making equipment, probably make four of them, and be done with that, and move on to something else. That's just how, I, and I get, she's like, I can't stand it. Once you get on something, you're, like, fanatically on it. 
Like I've been on to elk hunting the last like year. Everybody knows it that's been around me because what have I done? I've either called elk around you, like using a mouth call, trying to learn how to do it, which has become the big joke in my house. But I get fanatic about it, right? And so there's, there's, there's a little part of that fanaticness we can get irritated at, right? And we have it in the church too. There's those church fanatics that we get irritated with. You're like, I'm a fanatic. I'm in the church. Why do I need another one, right? I mean, like there's our brothers and sisters can be the sometimes the most... Who, who really gets on our nerves more than anyone? The people we live with. By the way, church, that's each other. There's no way we're going to escape the irritation of, of the... We're going to always have a preset level. Like we, we have this tendency. This is where the Pharisees, this is where it really applies to. That we have this preset level. Pharisee-wise, like everybody should be at this level. We all should be reading the scriptures every day. We all should be worshiping God. We all should be, uh, we never miss, you know, uh, we should be so committed. We should be just here every time we get the chance. And, and the fanatics, uh, uh, which sometimes I fall in that category, we can be very much like that, right? But this is what, this is, if, and if you're not careful, you'll start getting mean, thinking it's the only way, right? You, you will. You just will. It's part of it. You become the Pharisee a little bit. If these people aren't this way, then they must not love Jesus. That's not true. That's not true. They might have a different view of their salvation. They also might have a different view of how bad they needed rescue. That's what this tells us. Which, by the way, you know what that makes you do? Have understanding. So when I now go, this is, this is why I can be patient. I would love to see everybody never miss, right? But I'm, first of all, the Bible doesn't preach that attendance creates salvation, so it's never going to be preached here. This is why last week every table we had was full and this week not, all right? There's times where I go, now I know why they preach that because they love seeing a full house. Full, having a full house is really nice, and honestly, it's affirming as a pastor. And then you come in the next week and you go, I better be about Jesus, you know, but here's the truth of the matter, right? As much as I, I also know that Jesus loves your family. I know that every individual relationship is its own with Christ, right? And these are the truths that I have to stick on. Why, why, don't, they, why don't they love Jesus much as me? That, no, 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 that, that You can't get there. First of all, the reason I serve Jesus the way I do is not because uh, it's going to gain me more favor, more grace, more heaven, more anything like that. I, I do what I do or I'm as committed as I am because I viewed my hole as a 500-foot hole that Jesus had to like, like listen, all right, I need to go in this. Like, I'm, I'm like, he was like God the Father, all right? I need your hand here because I can't even reach him kind of thing. That's how I view my own salvation, right? That Jim was so deep in the hole that you couldn't even see was down there that most people walk by and says it's just like an, an abyss. There's nothing there. No, 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 I'm in there. I'm in there. I just dug it so deep. Didn't realize what I was doing before it was all said and done, right? And then Jesus somehow saved me and he pulls me out. And now I feel like Paul where I'm indebted. I'm indebted. This is how I view myself. And because I view myself like that, it, com it makes my heart commit to things like this. You'll never hear me complain about setting up on a Saturday night. Every time I come here and I'm carrying stuff in, I'm reminded, God, you called me to this. You called me to this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for a group of people who would come and just be a part of whatever we're doing. Thank you for, for surrounding me with people who will love me. Thank you for, listen, I don't need a great giant, I don't need a big build, I don't need any of those things. What I just need is Jesus. And I see Jesus in many of you, and I experience Jesus in many of you, and as long as I continue to do so, I'm going to work for the, the children of God as long as I can. Some children of God are like the Pharisees. They think, they might not say it out loud, but they think a lot of things that ain't right. And they're stubborn. And I can get so angry at them and so frustrated at them, right? But I'm reminded in this story that they love Jesus. They just might not. It's not that they don't love him like I do. They just don't see themselves like I see myself. That's okay. That's okay. That's, listen, that's not for me to, to make happen for you. Only you and Jesus can see how that works. I can't make that happen for you, how to see yourself as someone who needs Jesus so greatly and so badly. Because let's just be honest, dude, some of you are better than me. You didn't have, make the mistakes that I've made. You've not done some of the things that I've done that have led me to the path where I desperately need Jesus. I, it makes sense now when you looked at who Jesus decided he was going to need for preachers. I've got to go after some guys who are going to die. I mean, think about what he was telling them. 
Uh, Peter, the devil has sought to sift you. Why? Oh, because it's coming, brother. I mean, there's at a point where he eventually tells Peter he's going to die. And Peter's like, what about John? He's like, who cares about John? Worry about you. But how would you like that? Hey, I'm going to give you a ministry. But you're going to die. <laughs> how about John the Baptist? How about that one? You're going to have the best ministry. It's going to forward into the Son of God, but it's only going to last six months. Mm. Do you tell somebody up front that? <laughs> you know? No. Why are they this committed? Because they have a view of their own depravity, their own sinfulness. And that view causes them to react to God in such a way that it looks like this woman. And we focus on the woman, which is great. I think that's what we're supposed to focus on, like. But it's hard not to see Jesus, the pastor, in that moment. It's hard not to see him try to navigate the church in that moment. He's, he's navigating the people who have been in church their whole life versus the one who are just coming in. I'm trying to bring understanding to those who've attended it their whole life while also trying to introduce new ones. Pretty neat, man. As a pastor, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is the stuff I've been waiting to read. Like, thank you, because as a pastor, this is where I relate to Jesus. Like, I, I know. How do I teach those who've learned so much while also teaching those who are just coming in? How do I navigate that, right? And this passage is just like a gold mine for that. It teaches us how to love those who are, can be stubborn or love those who don't view themselves as needing God as much as the ones who are like, my life is so horrible, it's obvious. Look how everybody knew I was a prostitute as soon as I walked in. I need Jesus, right? That's what this passage does. It unlocks that. And By the way, it teaches you how you're supposed to be. How you're supposed to navigate the differences of individuals in the room. Because all of you are at different places in your walk with God. Some of you are on like the very beginning steps, right? Some of you, some of you like, man, I've been walking with Jesus for so long. By the way, here's one thing you'll learn. That's one of my favorite things I think I learned early on. Uh, I used to ask a lot of older uh, people this. Um, uh, just like after all these years of serving Christ... Um, what, what, are, what is the thing you walk away with? And every one of them will say the same thing. It's like, it's like uh, Jesus loves me for this I know because the Bible tells me so. And it's like there's this, you know, I know we make a lot of jokes. The older we get, the more we become like a child. But, but uh, the, there, there's a truth to that with Christianity. There's a truth where all of a sudden the things, like we're, we're talking about deep things right now. But there will come a time where you won't care anymore about deep things. There's a hunger for deep things in, you know, in the very beginning of your walk. You get your eyes open. You hunger for a deep thing. And then what's going to happen is you're like, I've mined all the deep things I ever care. Now, Lord, just give me the, instead of being out into the deep waters, Lord, just give me the brush of the water on my feet. Because I know. I don't have to guess anymore. I don't have to think anymore. I am secured. That's a great place to be, by the way. That's a great place to be. Again, how do you navigate that? How do you navigate relationships in the church? How do you worship correctly? By the way, this is a big view on how to worship correctly, right? Jesus says, this is what you should have done. Look at her. You should have welcomed me into the home. You should have kissed on me. You should have done these things, right? She's, she's, in, she's not in the wrong, and you weren't either necessarily, all right? I, he, what's awesome, he's like, I loved you. I tolerated all that. I know you didn't welcome me right, but it's okay. I know. It's okay. I love you, and I'll listen to you, and I'll sit with you, and I'll have a meal with you, even though you don't get it yet. It's okay. Well, he's not judgmental. Neither we, should we. Amen? Let's worship this morning. Let's worship this morning. I'm going to bring my wife back up. Kind of jumped way off my notes, but... I think that's where we needed to be this morning. It's one of the hardest things, I think, to navigate. Um, and it's the only place I see anything where Jesus is like this, where he's being friends with the enemy, so to speak, or what has become the enemy in the last few months of reading in the scriptures. These guys have been on his case, like, nonstop. Here's this one moment where all attention is focused on this one thing, but it, we can't get our eyes off Jesus. If our eyes are on Jesus, then we're watching him navigate the room. And it's amazing to me what he does in that process. And I honestly think it teaches us how to navigate the room. And when it comes to going to church, like I can teach on the worship factor. 
and I can teach how we need to be at the altars, and that teaches us how to pour out at his feet, and, and you should learn those things. Those are good things. But I'm going to tell you where the church struggles. The church doesn't struggle in learning how to worship. The church struggles in learning how to be friends with each other. <laughs> the church struggles is because the differences of the people that are in the room. You have people that have served Jesus their whole life, and you have people that haven't, or people that are in and out, or people that are constantly wavering. You have this constant group just melting pot because it's people. And Jesus shows you how to navigate that. And if that's not culturally relevant and church relevant, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It helped me because one thing you know what it did for me is, okay, it's no use being frustrated anymore with people who are so different from me. It's time to accept that they're all, if they were there in Jesus' days, guess what, guys? They're going to be here in mine. That's because it's just people. People don't change. They haven't. There's people that, especially, you know, when I first came into this, I was over at First Assembly, and I remember there's a very diverse group there. There are some that are just set in their ways, and they're not going to change. But you know what? There's always been people set in their ways and not going to change. My job is never not to love them. I can be frustrated, yes, but you know what? Even in frustration, Jesus was like, listen, when it, if, if it takes protecting a woman, I'm going to step in there and take the heat for that. But I'm also going to do it in a way that teaches you and tries to bring understanding to the woman. I'm not here just to call you names and call you out and say that you're not worth being in church because that's not true at all. They're in the church from the very beginning. How you navigate that is what's important. How do you navigate that? And I think Jesus presents us the way. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard anything like that before, but I hadn't, and it was revolutionary to me. It, it changed my whole perspective in how I talk with people and how I see people and how I engage their walk, how I engage. Like, I want everybody to be as sold out to Jesus as this woman. Make no mistake about that. That is my heart's intent is to try to make you worship like this, right, to see yourself as somebody just like her because it doesn't matter that you weren't the prostitute. I get it. All right? You're not a prostitute. All right? But here's the thing is, you need a correct view of the hole. doesn't matter how deep your hole is. You're going to die the same as me unless Jesus intervenes and rescues. And if you're here this morning, he already has. And then how you appreciate that is how you live your life. So that I live my life a certain way. Why? To show my appreciation to the one who put his hand down there. And pick me up out of the hole. And how I live, or to the intent or level to which I live that, is completely determined by how, at, how accurately I see my rescue. Right? Make no mistake about that. That's, that's connected. So usually for us, when, me and Joy, when we talk, we'll say, yeah, the people that, who are the most fanatics are the ones who probably were the worst sinners. That's just the truth. Like the worst of us are usually the best some of the best, like most fanatical people, because they were awful in humanity. I mean, Paul killed people. Look at Paul, 75% of the Bible written by a murderer, right? Peter is called the devil by Jesus, but he leads the forefront in Acts 2. By the way, he also cursed in saying, I don't even know the guy, right? I mean, he was cussing right back to the old sailor mouth. But he's the guy that leads the way and says, you know what? I'll get my head cut off. I'll hang upside down. I'll do whatever. I got to love the disciples who all scattered when it was time to really be seen, right? But James eventually ends up with his head cut off. John's ends up because he won't shut up. They put him on an island. They hang Peter upside down because he's too stubborn to hang right side up. Think about these guys that he had to go get. These guys have to have an accurate view to follow Jesus like this. You can't get a half-hearted guy in something like that. you got to go find the worst of people. Why do you think it was said about him all the time? He hangs around with these sinners because those are the ones who need him. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That's the perfect person. So you know what that says when I look back and I see the, the uh, signs and stuff and they say, oh, these men were ignorant and unlearned. I'm in good company. These men were sailors, had a cuss mouth. Well, I was a Marine pretty close. I mean, these were the worst in good company. Paul said, Paul said, you know what we are, right? He says, man, we're the fools on display, is what he says. We, we're such a mockery of Christianity. God has saved us just to say, see, I made this guy save. <laughs> it should be easy for you. This guy was 500 feet in his hole. You're only like 20 or 30 feet. I can save you easily. 
But here's the thing. Just get it in your mind. Know this. Doesn't matter how deep your hole is. Only God can rescue you and pull you out of. And then how much you want to show appreciation will show up in the worship of your life of him. Amen. Let's worship.